Welcome to a Paul Carenza podcast. Where have we been all this time? We had a gap for Christmas, which also then grow, grew into January. That was a gap as well. I mean, they say that old Christmas goes to February the 2nd, so I think it's absolutely fine. We've had a long Christmas break. Uh, welcome to a Paul Carenza podcast, um, bringing to you the finest conversations we can find with people we are catching up with. That's what we're currently doing on this podcast channel. And this time, catching up with Rachel Krieger. She's the British comedy circuit's only practicing orthodox female comic uh, and as you're here in the podcast i get those adjectives in all the wrong order once again uh, but rachel's fantastic we've had a lovely chat uh particularly dwelling on the the differences but the crossovers between her being uh, a jewish comedian doing shows for synagogues as well as the stand-up circuit and then me being a christian doing shows for churches and also the stand-up circuit so we meet in the middle and yet our uh, gigs for uh, places of worship as well have obviously a lot in common so we had a great chat as well and talking about humor in dark places and dark times which unfortunately we find ourselves in again from pandemic to uh, a time of, of well potentially uh, uh, European warfare is where we are find ourselves now so I hope this finds you well where you are I hope that you get something out of this uh, podcast for the next wee while and uh, yeah I just hope that uh, the conversation that we have helps in some way uh, lift you where you are encourage you in some vague small way maybe hopefully um, and uh, and I just wish you well elsewhere uh, I am of course doing my other podcast the British Broadcasting Century and that's continuing a pace there uh, and I'm also starting as we mentioned in this podcast a new podcast called the Religion Media Centre podcast I'm one of six co-hosts on that we have different guests every month uh, we look at the religious news stories of the day we chat with journalists the people behind the stories and uh, it's a fantastic uh, uh, gathering of people on that so I uh, chatted on the most recent episode to Rachel in just a five minute chunk but I really wanted to chat to her more which is why you find us here today so you can find the Religion Media Centre podcast wherever you find podcasts you can find the British Broadcasting Century podcast elsewhere too. And Rachel Krieger's podcast is called Jew Talking to Me. It's a podcast chat with different people of the Jewish faith. But here she chats to someone of the Christian faith. Uh, that's me, Paul Carenza. Hello. This is a Paul Carenza podcast, catching up with Rachel Krieger. Welcome to the podcast then today. Fantastic. Rachel Krieger, who is... I'm going to do this memory. Having I've wrote it down before, but who, needs, mem- who needs that? Who needs notes when you know <laughs> that Rachel Krieger is the UK comedy circuit's only British... No, hang on, that's hang on. the UK and British is the same thing. That's an extraneous word. The, well, that's, a, that, that's a bigger question, I think, than a podcast can handle. It is. It's a very good point. Let's go build up to that. Uh, UK comedy circuit's only practising... Orthodox female. I got the wrong order. I think female comes before practice. Doesn't matter, does it? Does it matter? Doesn't matter. No, still me. Who? How do you define it? Do you, can you define yourself? Uh, are you just a person who tells jokes in places that book you, and that's it? I mean, yes, but also many other things. So much else. So much, <laughs> so much more. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it's clear to say to people, I'm the only practicing Orthodox Jewish woman on the comedy circuit because. That's, that immediately gives you a definition and parameters within which to work. Well, there but, you go. Uh, yeah. I should have just asked you, because you can clearly describe yourself far better than I can with my clumsy adjectives in the wrong order. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, how long have you been gigging now? And has that been a mix then of uh, sort of circuit gigs and also gigs in the uh, Jewish arena? 
I love the idea of a Jewish arena, just be full of people arguing and trying to see who's got what food. Um, Could you tell well, that I didn't know how that sentence was going to end when I started it? <laughs> I went for arena. Um, I've been so, I was sort of hovering around the fringes of comedy for a very long time, mainly because I didn't really think there'd be space for somebody like me in it. So I focused on writing it, you know, for other people and for theatre and directing it and directing other people for uh, stand up and for theatre and just doing little bits here and there. And then it just suddenly got to the point where it was an overwhelming drive to be a club comic. Like that specifically was what I wanted to do. I was already an entertaining speaker in synagogues and stuff. And I've been involved in some way in performing since I was very small. I was in choirs and I was in school shows and I was in community theatre and lots of other sort of things. And uh, as an adult in musical theatre predominantly. And then I just suddenly had like... I had a moment where I was watching another comic who I'd directed and co-written their Edinburgh show. And I just thought to myself, I'd quite like to be saying those words now properly, not just always, not just like a here and there thing, whatever. And I didn't know how people would react because I run a comedy club or I did pre-pandemic and um, I'd been writing and directing. And I, I, it felt a bit like, you know, that expression, um, Innkeeper turned poacher, whichever way around oh, yeah, it is, yeah, like when you hop yeah. over the fence. And I thought, are people going to think, like, who who does she think she is, mm. like, clambering into our space? And all I got was support. Like, it was amazing. And so many people who've said, uh, said at the time, uh, well, we've just been waiting for this, actually, because, you know, we've all heard you do bits and this is what you're meant to be doing, really. And that was very, um, very generous and amazing really and so that was around 2015 2016 and I decided you know what um instead of going to all the people I've booked or I've worked with and saying can you put me in your gigs I'm a big believer in earning your stripes and I thought I know how to be funny for 40 minutes I don't know how to do five minutes like I've never had to do that before Uh, so I went onto the open mic circuit for about a year year and a half just to learn how to do type fives to deal with proper proper hecklers um to to kind of learn the craft of it a little bit more um because I was very fascinated by the idea and I still am of watching how a different group of people manage the same room and even now like I try not to double and unless the money's good or I'm not an idiot <laughs> but I try not to double because I love going and watching a whole show and seeing uh, if it's a mixed bill and seeing how that compare that closer um that opener the middles how they all deal with the interactions in that same space I find it so interesting yeah wow I so, so much there to sort of uh, dig in so by the sound of it then if you could do I love that idea you could do a 40 minutes but five is is yeah. sort of what's the what's the five is it a case of kind of chipping away then to find the five that you've already got within that 40 or are you kind of coming up from scratch going right we need some new stuff here to because it's it's a different thing isn't it the five minutes in a yeah it's a completely yeah. different skill and um and also because you can't kind of if you're used to sort of get up getting up and being like a speaker at an event or uh, you know a host of an event then you can sort of draw on old stuff you can relate to stuff in the room you can kind of waffle your way through things 
on your personality. I think you can skate on your personality quite a lot. Whereas if you have to do a tight five, it has to be content rich. I mean, that's what it's about. And so um, I didn't really look at old stuff for that the, the first time out. I just thought, well, what am I really interested in? That isn't something I would normally talk about. And I'm going to explore that and see if I can find um, a tight five minutes out of that. And it was actually bees, the stripy insects that I decided <laughs> to write about okay, because nice. I thought no one would be interested in like my weird religious Jewish life. Like who does that relate to? So I went for bees and it's come bizarrely quite full circle because I've revisited that whole set, which is now a 10 actually, um, for my next Edinburgh show. Like the bees have, the bees have finally found their place. <laughs> the bees have landed. It's lovely. Yeah. yeah, love, yeah. yeah it's quite but sweet. I bet you find this, I would have thought people would be fascinated to know about your, the religious side of things as well. And that, that background. But have you found that on the circuit or does that, is it sort of you talk about religion and people go and freeze? I don't know. Is it a mix? No, that is what happens really is that every so often, particularly if I was hosting, because I compared a lot before I went into, um, I didn't really used to do sets. I used to do a lot of comparing back in the day. So, um, yeah, I suddenly found that if I make throwaway remarks that related to my Jewishness or, you know, my lens of experiencing the world, um, because it's not like a RE lesson, then people would be really fascinated. And again, like uh, people who are more experienced than me, whose advice I would seek on how to progress and how I was doing and um, also, but you've got a USP, like it seems actually quite ridiculous not to try and draw on that. And what I found over the years is now that my content is, I would say, 99%, you know, it's just observational comedy, but through my Jewish experience, is that people are really interested, but also it is very relatable because if you grew up in any kind of um, ethnic home or faith home, you'll have had some similar experience. Um, or I find I talk a lot about my uh, grandparents who were refugees and immigrants. That is actually not an uncommon thing now in Britain. And people will say to me, oh, my, when my grandparents came from India, they were exactly like that or, you know, that sort of thing. And also um, like my club set is about the way faith education, faith schools teach sex education. And whatever kind of faith school you went to, it's triggering and very familiar. Yeah. That's what I've discovered. <laughs> it's funny. It's one of those headlines you just go, oh, yeah, instant gold. I could just see that yeah. working straight away. Fantastic. Yeah, very nice too. Yeah. So, yeah, people do seem to be. I think it's just when I understood that we're all just people, really, and we all went to school. We've all been somebody's kids. We've all, you know, had certain experiences in common. And actually, it's finding the common ground. And you don't have to, I think at the beginning, I was very concerned I'd have to constantly explain things in great depth if I was going to say them. But sometimes just like a throwaway mark, remark is enough, like a little topper, a little something, just to contextualise it. You don't have, no one needs to have read 17 rabbis commentaries on whatever it is i think i just described in one of my um in one of my solo shows i described the process of sitting shiva which is the seven day mourning period that jews uh, experience after a bereavement and i think i just said you know i went to a shiva which is like a wake for a week without wine that's all anyone needs what else do people mm. need to know they don't need to know about the prayers they don't <laughs> need to know who comes or how you sit the point for you just have to get there as quickly as possible which is true of all jokes yeah, and I guess, and I, as an audience member, I guess we're happy to just kind of pick things up. And sometimes you might slightly miss a thing and go, I don't quite know all about that. But often you go, as soon as you realise, you know, if, if the story you're telling is actually uh, about a gathering of people, then whether it's a shiver, whether it's a wedding, whether whatever it might yeah. be, 
we pick it up, don't we? And we learn a bit in the process. I think we all, it, it's a richer experience for all of us, I think, isn't it? When we, we can go to comedy clubs and not just hear for i mean speaking as a white male middle class stand-up but for <laughs> white male middle class stand-ups but uh doing the same sort of you know and i, I remember those gigs you get to thankfully not for a while now where a comedian would arrive late doing the double that you've just said about yeah and and they'd say uh oh so what have you talked about have you done you know oh, sex you've done george w bush have you done whatever and people go oh yeah i've done that but i've not done that and you can do that line about the americans in and blah 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 you think oh come on there's so many topics we could be talking about here you know? yeah and I also hate when people come in um, late and then they ask the same person in the audience the same question yeah, 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 and then yeah. the, the audience all gets so fed up. Like we have to remember that this is um, this is like an exchange between us and the audience yeah. and there needs to be some kind of quality in that, mm. in that interaction. Um, so it's a tough thing. It's interesting. I did a little experiment. I, I think you might be... I think you might find this interesting. Yes. Anyway. Um, a few years ago because... I had a situation where a couple of bookers said they didn't really want me to in their clubs because they thought I was too niche. And these are people who hadn't ever seen me perform. And I thought, really, I'm actually massively mainstream, if anything. I'm happy to be mainstream. But um, I thought, I wonder how niche I could get just for the enjoyment of experience of, of having the opportunity to just say stuff. So I wrote a set which was so nichely Jewish. I think you'd have to be actually quite orthodox, probably too orthodox to go and see a woman standing on the stage talking right. <laughs> to understand it. They were like really intensely Jewish jokes. Um, and I thought it'd be curious to see whether the cadence of comedy in terms of your voice would be enough to make an audience laugh at it. I just thought it'd be like quite a fun mm-hmm. thing. So I went to a couple of like free open mic pub gigs to do it because I wouldn't have wanted someone to pay good money to be part <laughs> of my scientific uh, experiment. But I thought it would be interesting to see if that happened. And actually some of them work quite well because even though there's absolutely no way that audience understood a word that came out of my mouth, um, that it sounded so silly that it was kind of funny. That's nice. Um, and some of them just stared at me, but that can happen even if you're literally talking their language. <laughs> yeah, so I don't so know true. that that's it. But it was it was quite um, it was quite an enjoyable experience just to see. And I actually did a gig in I'm trying to remember what it was. I, um, I think it was about October, November last year for a very a group of very very orthodox women, and I finally got to use that as a kind of actual mm. set of piece of material <laughs> um, nice. where they all laughed. So that oh, was quite lovely. nice. Yeah, I guess I've, that's a good theory. I like that cadence. Well, I, I can, I mean, without the clang of a name drop thing here, but I used to write for Miranda Hart for her TV show. Miranda Hart. And, and I wrote a couple, I wrote literally two jokes for her stage show for the, when she did this tour around, uh, well, the, uh, the arena we talked of, uh, the, when she did the O2 thing. And I uh, just wrote literally, I wrote a bunch, I wrote loads more than that, but she picked two that finally made the 90 minutes of the show. And I went to see it. I saw it at the very first gig, which was at my little pub in Guildford. I booked her to come along and do a little try it thing. And then at the very last gig of the tour, which was at the packed out O2, and she knew I was in. So when she when she got to my joke that I'd written for her, she knew roughly she could spot me down near the on the side there. And she did the joke with a little wink to me. But because of that, she overthought it and she got the words wrong and she missed out oh, no. like the two key words that make sense of the joke. And so I was looking going that's not the joke that doesn't that's not a joke that doesn't that's not funny it doesn't make any sense at all but you look around and you go but everyone's still laughing why is that well, and you go because it sounds her. like a joke and yeah. you just go 
it didn't it didn't matter that it didn't make any sense she said mm. it in the way that the cadence was right as you said the and it just it, you know if, if you've got the stage presence and the personality and it sounds like a joke well most to go it's, it's probably a joke you know yeah she's got funny bones hasn't she so the audience mm. are all with her and they assume if she's saying it even if i don't get it i assume she knows better than me what's funny there's so, a bit uh, of that isn't there yeah but i, I reckon i don't i've never i don't think i've ever seen a comedian on stage literally, literally speak a different language to me yeah. Uh, I'm trying to work it out, but I th- actually, I did one German language comedy club in Berlin once, and they and I didn't speak a word of German. Uh, but I, yeah, I was just trying to think: could I, would I, would you laugh at a thing if you literally understood nothing? But actually, you could, as long as other people are having fun, you think, yeah, there's. I think nowadays I would. I'm just overwhelmingly can't wait to get back into, uh, yeah. you know, the joy of going to a live venue again. Yeah, I'd just laugh at anything now. I think it's just if it sounds like a joke, I'd laugh. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah. How did you feel when uh, Miranda messed your joke up? Uh, well, she got the other one right. So that's okay. I'll take oh, thank that. Goodness. You know, one out of two is not bad, is it? But you did sort of think, oh, come on, we've come all this way. You know, you could have got the uh, the thing right. But um, uh, but yeah, it was. And then then of course you think of the jokes that I'd submitted to her that she didn't do, and you think you should have just done one of those. They were good. They, yeah, they were easy to remember. You know, but I think those are the little things. Because um, comedians are quite obsessive by nature. And I think those are the little things that will stay with you your whole life. Like mm. when you're 98 years old and you're sitting at the end, they're attempting to get you some kind of slow um, aerobic activity from mm. your chair in the old yeah. age home. And yeah. if someone said to you, yeah. what was it like when you went to see Miranda Hart in 2020 or whenever it was, yeah. you'd be like, well, she didn't do the joke I would have liked to do. And she messed up one of us. Yeah. But the other one she told, great. You won't yeah. ever forget that. Yeah, that's true. That's stuff like that. It does. That's my, I mean, it is my abiding memory of that evening, you know. Certainly. Yeah. So the rest of it, I can't remember any of the rest of the show. Just, just the joke she got wrong. But, uh, There's, I yeah. did a show at Arts Depot, which is like mm. my local theatre to where I am now. And it was I know, you know, as I say, I never thought that there'd be space someone like me on the circuit. And I'm so thrilled that there is. And um, when I did my first tour of the UK, that was like my final show and it sold out. And it was just incredible to be in their main space, with the whole big audience um, who were like, I'd say 50 percent people I knew. But it was like such a home. I was like on their shoulders. Do you know what I mean? Mm, it was yeah. the most gorgeous atmosphere. Everyone laughed at everything. Like, it was always going to be a great, a great gig, let's mm, face it. Mm. Um, and uh, an easy audience, it, you know, on my side. And it was fantastic. I had the best time. I got a standing ovation. I felt like I felt on, on top of the world. And between um, coming off stage at the end and getting to the dressing room, it's, I don't know, about eight seconds, but my husband came like running down. He came like round the back to see me to say, you know, well done. It was amazing. Whatever. By the time he came in the room, I had like my head in my hands and I was almost in tears. So he said, what's the matter? And I said, um, there was a topper on a joke I forgot to do. Mm. And he mm. said, so what? And I said, yeah. Because everything else, it was all perfect, but I forgot to yeah. add, I've got to add this line, and I, I could tell you the line now. Um, the line was, um, she didn't have any medical qualifications, but she did laugh at all my jokes. Right. That, you can put it on my gravestone, that line. Yeah, I'll, yeah. It'll be... It's there. Yeah. And, and instantly, even without knowing the context, I can tell, I can tell it's a funny joke. You could, it sounds like a joke. Huh. And it worked. It, it, it's, you know... Just slot that back into the show, and then it would have been fine, wouldn't it? But yeah, I know what you mean. It's those, and it's the long drives home. If you've got like a, if the gig's two hours away or something, and you're driving home, going, yeah. if only just that one little line. There's always the ones one that go line. away. There. Or yeah. if I'd said that back to that person in the audience, where they said oh, whatever, yeah. yeah, it was fun. And usually, 
um, I find that if it's been a, a bad gig or it hasn't gone well, I don't obsess about it like I do if it's mm. been a good gig where I could have made it, I don't know, um, a fifth of a percent better, mm. in my opinion. Like, no one's gone away thinking, like, no one left Arts Depot thinking, well, I've been robbed. Like, <laughs> yeah. there was there was definitely a sense of something missing at that moment. That yeah. Out of that hour and a quarter, there was yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, like, three seconds that weren't as good. <laughs> But but yeah. I felt it in you the marrow it. of my bones. Yeah, you know it. That's the thing, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I did the the longest I've I did a a, a conference for, for again on the religion matter. It was for church ministers across oh. country, and they were putting me up overnight, and they put me for like the after dinner thing. And I think it was meant to be about forty five to sixty minutes. I think, which at the time I thought, oh, it's gonna be quite a while because you look at mm. the audience, I'm not sure about this. But then at the end, you think well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying overnight, so here we are. And I was about to leave the stage after like an hour, and then someone said, "Look, we'll buy you a drink if you um, if you just keep it. We got we got nothing. The bar, you know, as soon as we the show's over, that's it. We're going to bed. So right, you know, go and have a, do a bit more. Oh, I'll do another ten minutes. And I think I've got about two hours ten in the end. And at oh, that point, goodness. I was just going. This is every joke I've ever written. <laughs> I don't know anything else. I know no other words than this. And then, of course, you still walk off and go, "Oh, there was that one more bit I could have done." You know, but, um, uh, not saying it was quality; it was quantity of nothing else. But um, yeah. Do you find there's like a difference between your sort of uh, Christian or church-based groups uh, for gigs and secular groups? Well, yeah, and likewise back to you. Um, well, let's less christian more jewish i imagine but feel free to answer either um, i've done both you've done both there you i go. did a gig in a church two weeks ago oh well, we can talk about that there you go <laughs> uh, you're on my circuit yeah lovely uh yeah yeah i mean i'm very different i would say um i you know i did the, the the circuit gigs first and i was a christian but i wasn't talking about it particularly much because i didn't have much funny to say about it mm. so only after about six seven years i started doing uh, church events and i did it wrong to begin with because I just walked in and just did my comp- my secular set in churches, mm. even like a clean version. But still, it was even a clean secular set I found was too kind of boisterous, almost mm. for if you railroad them, it was like a bit, you know, scared. So yeah. now I sort of spend the first few minutes just putting them at ease, spend a good bit of time going, it's going to be all right. You know, yeah. don't if you brought a friend here thinking, you know, because you get the Christian and non-Christian next to each other, like drag yeah. the neighbours along. And the Christians are worried it's going to be offensive. And the non-Christians are worried it's going to be twee and a bit, you know, tame. So you've got to kind of make both happy in the first few minutes, you know. So I, I spend more time doing atmosphere setting, I guess, in mm. church events. But, um, yeah. How's it been for you then? What's, what's your... Well, I did Jewish ones before I did mainstream mm. ones. Just yeah, okay. that how life uh, carried it along its little way. Mm. Um, and I find um, it really depends on the group. Like, if it's in a place of worship... I think it actually really jars with people if you try and be too clubby. Um, not ne- exactly what you said. Not if I don't swear um, and my materials, you know, very family friendly. But it's just if you say something that's going to make them uncomfortable, they do feel like um, the weight of God is behind you. And that. Mm. actually, I had a, a very specific experience like that where I was invited to perform uh, across an event in a synagogue over the whole of Sabbath, and so I was staying there and Friday night they said to me uh, we're doing Friday night but not all our community is very religious some people won't be able to get there early enough um we do, we don't want people to feel alienated so what we're going to do is we'll do uh, the Sabbath it was winter so Sabbath begins quite early um so we're going to do our prayers at the right time
time and then we're going to get you to perform for about you know 45 minutes and then we'll do dinner after that and then people can come at whatever stage you know those who work and they don't take time you know they can't in the winter stop early for something everything we don't want anyone to feel alienated Let, let's do it like that and I was like oh that's very nice yeah no problem so um I that's what happened there was the evening prayers um I did 45 minutes set it was it was all fine and then um someone came up to me one of the organizers and said we've got a bit of a problem uh with the food uh, there's been a bit of a delay and then there's also a few people who aren't here yet is there any chance you can just carry on a bit like what you said and I and I was like I'm doing like four or five things mm. over this weekend I didn't want to just yeah. stand there being hilarious to everybody so I said well how about if we do like a Q&A type thing and ask me yeah. anything type thing because I've got loads of anecdotes that yeah. aren't really you just you know, need a queue up a little set up to it yeah. exactly yeah. so they said oh that's that's a good idea so the rabbi came up and said very you know kindly Rachel's agreed to do an ask me anything question and answer session so you know who would like to kick off and a few people asked me. it was all lovely and then uh, and just so you can picture it where I was standing was actually uh, the bimmer, the platform in front of the ark where the safe Torah, the scrolls are kept, right? They're kept okay. in a special, very highly elaborate cupboard. Mm. Um, all the, the Torah scrolls all in their finery. They have like um, beautiful velvet on them and silver mm. ornaments, whatever. So that's where I'm standing, literally like you know the everlasting light dangling on top of me and right. i'm on the i'm on the special platform and um so because it essentially was function as a stage but someone asked a question and i don't remember what the question was but i suddenly thought oh that made me think of a particular anecdote and i thought god i haven't i haven't said this in so long i don't think i've ever done this in a short gig before okay i'll go for it now and uh about three quarters of the way through, I realised the reason I'd never told that story in a synagogue setting is because it has a swear in it. Right. Uh, not because I swear, but because it's a conversation with another okay. person mm. and they do. And so I got to that point, and, but I was sort of too invested in it. When I couldn't suddenly <laughs> no. stop. Um, so I got to the end and then I kind of tamed it down right. uh, with a like you know a fiddlesticksy words <laughs> and it just died a death like it was so funny but even I felt like I just couldn't stand there 10 feet from a tourist scroll and quote somebody else's sweary words yeah Oh, that was quite tough, hard. But Jewish audiences can be very hard. I think that we're quite hard, they're quite hard on their own. I, when right. I've done uh, when I've booked for synagogue or Jewish charity events, and we've had a mixed uh, lineup mm. where it's not all Jews, the Jews uh, they're very much like um, okay. So I know your, I knew your great grandma. She was hilarious. Mm. Uh, right. I don't think you're going to be as funny as her, but I'm okay. prepared to wait and see if you're going to entertain me. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's quite hard. Yeah. Whereas um then the non-jewish act comes on they i think everyone wants them to feel welcome so they give them uh, all okay. the love oh really oh no yeah yeah, yeah. we have I've to always, work a bit harder i've always wondered you know because there does seem to be this history of humor and comedy within the jewish faith yeah that maybe as christians we sort of i don't know lack a little i think there's a lot of christians who you know i love these christians who sort of say oh yeah well you know it's the christian faith is full of joy and and i think it's is, is it? Do you want to tell your face sometimes? You know, because mm. some gigs you sort of go, okay, we can have fun, but we need to remind ourselves of that sometimes. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I, I guess, I don't know whether it's storytelling or just community and all of these sorts of things that just help us share humour, I suppose. I don't know, but... Oh, it does. There's a, there's always more uh, that unites us than divides us. I think that's mm. true of all people. But, yeah, there is, I mean, that is part of Jewish culture is... Um, human and it's 
also satire i think more than yeah. just like general comedy because jews have used humor to combat oppression mm. forever like that's mm. just it's a genetic thing i think if you yeah. look at um, and i'm not suggesting you actually do but if you look at the talmud one of the oldest collections of jewish writing about uh, religious practice it's mainly like rabbis arguing and occasionally taking the mick out of each other right. you yeah. know like i can't you know can't believe quoting people in a sarcastic tone and yeah. whatever so there's always so it's sort of like um we're, we're funny because it's a serious business like life is a serious business the minute of life and the detail of religious life is so complex really mm-hmm. that you can either you laugh or you cry and mm-hmm. um yeah, I think it's I think it's just super cultural. Whereas I I don't know. It's I, I think it's about how different faiths have responded to the way they've been treated by other people in history. Mm. And I guess for um, Christianity, it, it sort of was born out of quite a, you know in its early days it involved quite a lot of trauma. Yeah, so yeah, maybe that's, that's why it's it? a bit more serious. Maybe. Whereas we've we've had trauma carrying along in waves forever, so we've got used to it now. Maybe we, we, us Christians, we've had it too good for too long. We're not, uh, you know, we don't have, have the reason to love. But um, it's without wanting to, I mean, it's impossible to uh, not get bogged down with such things. But with the 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 current news as it is, you know, I was looking today at, um, a, I think she's a Ukrainian comedian who's now in New York, and she was saying on Twitter about uh, some things I want you to know about Odessa, about her home city of Odessa, and she talks about. The, the huge role that humour plays there and mm-hmm. they have a festival of humour and festival of comedy and but then she talked about the very specific sort of humour and how it's about um, I glanced at it briefly as I was having my coffee so I, I have to look it up again but um, uh, but this idea of I think it was about sort of one-upmanship and pastiche and um, uh, yeah as you said sort of kind of satire I suppose to a degree as well but um, she even get the example she gave. She said, "Here's, a, here's the, the joke that we have, or one of the popular jokes there is, uh, like, why is it that people in Odessa always answer a question with a question, and the other person says, do we? You know, that's an old stuff. Jewish joke. Well, and there you are. There, there you are. There was a big Jewish community there. I mean, mm. uh, yeah, there's a lot of us about stuff yeah. happened a number yeah. of years yeah. ago. Yeah. Didn't end well. Yeah. Um, that's that's a very old Jewish. Well, there joke. you go. There you are. You see, it's all it's all kind of culture moving around, and but um, and then being proud of their humour yeah. roots and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. We, um, my husband and I actually lived in Belarus when we were first mm. married. We went to do uh, community work. So yeah, we're full on Jews. We mm. go go off uh, not mis- in a missionary way because it wasn't about uh, bringing people into the flock, but mm. providing for people who were in the flock already, but maybe didn't have those resources. And uh, during that trip, we spent some time in the Ukraine in Kiev. And so I'm finding the news, obviously, it's distressing on so many levels, but also yeah. like remembering people that we met and um, experiences that we had over there. Mm. Um, yeah, tough. Yeah. These are very tough days. It is. It is. I suppose. And the, you know, I hate to say the beginning of any crisis because it is the beginning, isn't it? But um, it, it just that adjustment. You're saying with the pandemic, you know, there was a, a real sort of low to begin with. And then we work out ways to to try mm. and cope better but it is awful obviously an ongoing in an ongoing capacity i've certainly found as a, as a comedian as well as a writer and trying to i've got projects i'm trying to you know either where i'm committed to write a thing for this write a thing for that or stuff that i'm just trying to come up with but it's stifling you know it's all I'm not trying to make it all about me but just as a, a way of looking forward is 
that thing of it feels stifling in a creative way because how can you create when all this is going on um, yeah it feels very um superficial to write jokes about bees when all that's yeah. going on in uh, ukraine mm. but on the other hand you know people need it they need mm. you know people need the laughter and not yeah. not just here they need they mm. need it there because yeah. When you're laughing, you're surviving. There's a lot of interesting work that's been done around um, humour in the Holocaust. And, um, you know, the fact that people crack jokes in the camps. I mean, the most inhumane things were happening, but people still need to laugh. Um, I, I think, you know, I've got a podcast with our mutual friend, Philip Simon. Yes, indeed. Tell us about your podcast. I've not even mentioned your podcast. How oh, that's okay. No, it's, it's called yeah. Jew Talking to Me. Excellent. And we speak to Jewish people from across the religious spectrum and across the entertainment industry about their Jewishness, but in a very non-educational way. It's really like, what's your favorite food? Uh, what's the most interesting feud you've ever come across? Um, you know, what's lots and lots of things about um, childhood and just messing around stories. Um, yeah, so it's like a Graham Norton-y type chat show. And uh, why am I telling you this? It was relevant to what we were just saying um because uh, you're talking about humor in the holocaust and how that was oh, in the camps how that came about right he he studied that for his degree that's okay. what i was going to say he did for his dissertation i think he did a project on that and i also speak on that subject and it's something we're both um quite passionate about and speak a lot about and um we were chatting about it the other day and we both concluded at the same time that i'd have been chucked out of the train on the way to the camp just because i've been cracking you know when i'm stressed that's my default is to just joke, 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 and usually really inappropriate and quite irritating, sometimes quite dad jokey style material and they wouldn't they yeah they wouldn't have put up with me <laughs> <I'd> been <laughs> right. like, I've been thrown from that wagon long before so that that probably would have been my fate yeah. but yeah it's an interesting thing I mm. I do a workshop on that and I tell jokes that were written by people in the camps in the ghettos oh, wow. pre and post war and I deliver I deliver them like stand up like mm. I don't uh, just read them out from the sheet I perform them and then we discuss how it makes how it makes us feel in the room and I feel quite strongly about um, keeping the voices of murdered people alive. You know, that's my, it's all got a bit dark now, but um, uh, as opposed to just saying, oh, this makes me uncomfortable. It's, it's okay if it makes you uncomfortable. And I kind of feel like that about all comedy. Like it is okay if it makes you uncomfortable, or makes you think that's that's not a problem. If you're not punching down in, in it, but it's making you think or making you concerned or bringing an awareness of something, that's, that's fine. You don't have to find everything instantly hilarious but i i don't think um you should be banning those jokes because of your discomfort absolutely wow yeah i it's, it's i think fascinating i wish it you know obviously we wish it weren't a world where we had to have such conversations but it's uh mm. it's 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 certainly certainly true and, and yeah we have to keep got to keep laughing keep creating and um in these in these tough times absolutely um yeah I don't know where to go now. I tell you what I will say. Though, <laughs> I thought is... it because I've Godwin Laws, uh, Godwin's Lord. The conversation. I couldn't say the words. Yeah, by bringing one. up the yeah. by bringing up the Holocaust. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, uh, interesting thing as well. I was just thinking is that we so and we, we are chatting uh, today, but actually we also spoke 
was it only yesterday i think it was yesterday, yesterday yeah uh for the religion media center podcast uh which again is words i have to get in the right order religion media center podcast mm-hmm. uh, which is which is a new podcast uh a second episode we're, we're into now and it's it has i've never heard so many uh guests on a single podcast they have this <laughs> we've got like six different hosts who've all got one two or three guests each um and as a result we were just we had like five minutes at the very end if that um yeah. but i think it's interesting it goes to show that because um you know that what we're talking about now is i think uh would be great to have on something like that but you can't run up you can't just go into that can you you sort of only get into that like 20 minutes into this conversation you can sort of um start to talk about these things but it's so important to do so especially in a time of crisis like this like we find yeah. ourselves in. Mm. and i think to i think it's important to have empathy as well mm. um I wish that more comedians had some empathy. That's just my personal feeling um, in terms of what and how they deliver to people because we we are dealing with human beings. And I'm not saying that a subject should be off limits, but I think it's so important to remember that there are other human beings in the room. Mm. So say what you want to say, do it however you like, Mm. but just have a consciousness that um, it's a community when you're in that space. That's what's exciting about it, like of course, and that's why that's why I kind of wanted to be a club comic and not just a, a synagogue performer who goes like from communities. I'm lucky that I get to do that as well. I'm not complaining. No complaints. Please do book me for your <laughs> synagogue course. events, your bar mitzvah <laughs> hosting or whatever. But um, because the the unpredictability and the excitement of that interaction with the audience is what I was really interested in. That's what mm. I found exciting that's what I wanted to do um I was just thinking about what you said before about the conference thing um that you went to because there's a big Jewish arts and culture conference every year called Limud um it's now called Limud Festival because everything's a festival (laughs) and uh, it's over the Christmas holiday and I've been a long-term attender and performer at that festival I'm sort of of um a, a piece of the furniture there um i actually got to the point where everyone thought oh nine o'clock on the sunday is rachel krieger's show so right. i stopped doing one then because it isn't supposed to ever focus on any one person uh, it's, okay. a, it's an interesting big event but um mm-hmm. it's an environment where um i don't know if on the christian circuit it gets to the point where because there's an x number of comedians people know who everyone is because mm-hmm. it's definitely like that with the jews to the extent that that's an environment where i'm sort of a celebrity briefly mm-hmm. just because of the recognition which i find quite uncomfortable um and i had this uh incident that occurred just because i was thinking about you saying about you're mm-hmm. staying over because this is a residential thing it's in a it's in a uh, conference center so everyone's staying in the hotels and then the events are in the conference suites and whatever and um one morning i was sitting at breakfast it's a great big dining room i think they feed about a thousand people at a time it's massive this mm. you, you can't imagine and someone came up to me who i don't really know very well and said rachel you know you're okay is everything all right and i said yeah why you know i'm just eating my, eating my cereal <laughs> and they went oh because like someone saw you in the corridor yesterday and they said you looked a bit down and I was like, oh my goodness! I'm sure it was just resting bitch face. I was walking from one thing to another, like no, I wasn't you're probably, thinking. You're thinking of that topper that you didn't manage to do at that game. Yeah, almost and, definitely. Uh, you know, it's there. like being at the Edinburgh Fringe, yeah. but you're all living. But everyone, the audience and the performers, are all living together. Yeah, it's in. It's you know. Yeah, we have very... those. We have those in our circuit as well. Yeah, the. Uh, I've just been planning today. I'm doing one in in Easter called uh, Spring Harvest, which oh, is down lovely. at down at Butlins and uh butlin's holiday camp and i've done it 
I must have done a show there every year for the last 12 years, probably. Mm. Pandemic, even the pandemic, we did it online. And uh, and yeah, you stay there. Um, if you stay the whole time, it's five days. I normally go for a couple of days within that. And it yeah. is like that big fish, small sea thing. You know, comedy circuit, small fish, big exactly. sea. And suddenly you go there. And you know, you know, the first... The first time I did it, you, you go on stage and suddenly you're doing a solo show for an hour and there are 700 people there or something who mm-hmm. can go to other things as well. You know, they've chosen to come along to this. Mm. And and then you stay over and, uh, you know, you're walking out and you nip over to the bar or the Burger King, whatever it might be. And you, you either you have a you either have conversations with people or they point and go, oh, it's, it's the bloke from the thing yeah. of the thing suddenly you're michael mcintyre breakfast next day yeah and then you have then you leave and you go oh right and reset there you go hard <laughs> reset you know yeah but, um, it's and it's it a good and a bad thing isn't it that sort of sort of it's nice for a moment but then you sort of think oh yeah if i pick my nose or you know or have a, yeah. a down moment people are gonna you know um oh that's uh, that's interesting yeah. um, well it's interesting that those things exist in both. Um, like I do enjoy it. It's one of my favourite things, but it, it does feel like pressure. And it gives me mm. one of my best friends is a very well-known soap actor. And whenever I'm out and about with them, which it doesn't happen that often because it tends to be they don't live in, in London. And it tends to be that if we see each other, we see each other at ha- our houses rather than mm. out and about because they are. I'm being very circumspect about who I they like are. It. Because uh, they get mobbed. Like when I've been right. out with them, people mm. come up for photos all the time. Um, there's been paparazzi, there's been whatever. Mm. And uh, in fact, never has there been a photo that involved me. Like I was always hoping, right. like, who is yeah. the blonde headscarfed woman with uh, mm. so- this soap's famous yes. person? Uh, but yeah, no help to me. But um, it gives me a little going to uh, to Limud Conference or festival, mm. as it's now called. Um, every so often it's given me like a little glimpse into what that mm. might be like on a tiny, tiny microcosmic scale. Yeah. Uh, I am not jealous of you having to live like that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find you come away going, oh, I, I don't want that all the time. No. Like a day a year, maybe, of you know, an hour. <laughs> you know, but, my, uh, my kids call it, that um, think it's hilarious. And they, um, whenever um, I go shopping in like the very Jewish areas, they'd say like, oh, did you get, are you Rachel Krieger's today? Because that <laughs> did happen. But because I, quite low profile um in the community because i'm not really interested in that i just wanted to be a performer i want to make you have a great time for the time we're together and then that's it we're like not all best friends now i mean maybe some of us might be or related but do you know what i mean like it's it's my job and passion but um i didn't really i never expected all this extra Mm. element to it and it used to make me um i pre i'm appreciative of it but i find it very uncomfortable Mm. because i'm i'm not really a celebrity in that way and my kids find it just really too funny but interestingly enough the pandemic has has reset that for me which i really like because i think we've had two years of walking around with masks on anyway people can't Mm. tell exactly who you are but uh also because i haven't been doing stuff i haven't been in the Mm. jewish press all the time i haven't been on uh, all the big events all the time because they haven't existed i've done bits online i've done this and that so uh now i feel like i can go anywhere and no one will hassle me because Mm. no one actually cares which is sort of what i like yeah yeah have you are you got an idea how famous you would want to be I've always thought like celebrity mastermind famous, maybe celebrity pointless famous, but I don't think anything beyond that. I think that will do. I don't want mock the week. I want just like the, uh, you know, interesting a bit, a bit lower down. That's what I want. I'd like to be the person on Alan Davis as yet untitled oh, that nice. no one's heard of, yeah. but has t- but they thought was quite funny when they told those anecdotes. So they might yeah. Google me after. Excellent. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would that would do for me. And like the main thing is I don't care about 
being famous or not famous, I would just want to perform and I want to have an audience. And I guess you yeah. can only have one thing with the other to an extent. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? If you can get a breakthrough to a, to a certain degree, then you can get those gigs and you can do a tour and you just know, mm. you know, because I'm, I'm doing a, a tour at the minute, but spending so much time just pushing, 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 you know, getting posters printed and flyers at my own mm. cost and a bit of local radio if you can. But, and then you get there and, you know, it's half full or something, but you think, oh, it'd be so good to just... I was chatting to Milton Jones the other day, who's off on tour yeah. again. And you think, oh, he's, he's got a ready-made audience. He just turns yeah. up and boom, you know, he's there. And uh, you think, oh, that would be be nice to get like halfway to that point or something. It would be even even nice. But, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm lucky because um, the Jews will come out for me mm. where I where I go around the country. Like if they know about it, they'll come because it's such a rarity that they feel like I'm representing. And that's a lovely really lovely thing really i don't nice, take that yeah. for granted for a second mm. but yeah i think it's that it, the hustle is stressful and seeing yourself as your commodity i think is quite oh, yeah. difficult it to is. to deal with unless mm. you're a certain type of person i think mm. um and i think it's particularly hard for brits because i think americans grow up thinking i could be the president like that's their yeah, uh, the yeah. ethos of the country is anyone can make it anyone can be, you can be mm. a millionaire whatever and here we're a bit like um don't be too noisy you know yeah. like keep be polite yeah. wait let someone else go first you know don't push and that's quite hard because i, I yeah. see on the circuit the people who are very pushy mm. are the ones who move forward yeah, much they more they are I, I've, I've done one gig in america in in san francisco and it's like an open mic gig i just thought i'm on holiday i'd like one gig so i did it and uh uh yeah i was like t t 10th act on and I was the only one not from America, but if you quickly realise that every act on, they all live in San Francisco, but they're all from different parts. But anywhere, even like three states away, is treated like it's overseas, you know. So someone, <laughs> go, someone goes, I'm from Kansas. Someone goes, yeah, go Kansas, you know. And I walk on and go, and everyone, everyone's cheering for their places. I'm from Colorado. Yeah, go Colorado. And I walk on and go, hello, I'm from Britain and it's rubbish. And they all go a bit like, mm -hmm. huh, what? Just come on, boost yourself, fella. You know, come on, yeah. you've got a season. Put Britain down. Don't put yourself there. Yeah, you're doing great, man, you know. So, and I thought, oh no, it's a joke. And they go, oh right, oh I see. Oh, he's being self-deprecating, you know. But um, that whole attitude to comedy there was completely different. That whole, you know, yeah. they're even saying where they're from and then pausing for five seconds to wait for the applause, to then lift them really? on to the next thing, you know. It's yeah. so strange, isn't it? I Different mean, because now when people say, I think on the UK circuit, regardless of where you're from, people assume you're joking about it. Even if you say, mm. you know, I'm from I'm from Kilburn or whatever, they think, oh, there's going to be a joke about Kilburn. Yeah. I mean, actually, now I say that, my opening joke is about being from Essex, so I can't really criticise. But yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's the that's the nature of us. Indeed so, indeed so. So what's uh, to to conclude then? What's next for Rachel Krieger? Then what's the is the hope to continue as a bit of bit of kind of sacred secular mix bit of bit of this bit of that new yeah, shows definitely. edinburgh are we doing solo shows are we doing what's the plan uh we are doing solo shows i, I feel weird to speak myself in the plural well, person there. well you, you and your uh un unknown gendered uh soap actor uh friend um, uh, he, yeah, yeah, he's no. not doing anything with me hey, oh there we go, we got uh, away, so he, there go. Uh, i mean that's not narrowing it down at all uh i uh yeah a show in Edinburgh called Pray It Forward, very on brand. Excellent, I like it. This conversation. Very nice. Uh, and it's kind of about the idea that if you're brought up feeling you always have to do your best for everybody and, you know, it, make things better for everybody, it can backfire and bite you on the bum. So uh, mm. that is the principle of that. And um, 
it's it's kind of the the last two shows I did before that they kind of all meld together really around mm. that subject of expectations. So it's quite fun. Um, so I'm doing that, and then I've also applied for um, bits and pieces of mopping up gaps. So I haven't heard yet if I'm going to get any of those spots. But with the, my lockdown show that I developed, mm. which is called. Um, I just completely forgot what it's called. Isn't that weird? It's <laughs> just terrible. You've moved I, on from lockdown now. We're in I know, seriously. Yeah, it's called uh, Rachel Krieger Ultimate Jewish Mother, which is an improv show. And I've done a few performances of it live now, as well as uh, the ones I did online, which is a really fun show about the principle of if you're a Jewish mother, then you have all the answers. There's not a question you can ask that I can't solve. Excellent. And um, so I have some stuff that's prepared in terms of mm. questions that have been asked online because I put it out there to see what people would ask me. And also uh, I find something that's relevant to either something in the news or the season or whatever, something that's happening. Um, but then it's really down to what the audience asks. And then there's usually another comic, uh, sometimes Jewish, sometimes not Jewish, but who feels that they can compete for uh, Ultimate Jewish Mother on a question from the audience and the audience gets to judge who they think has those qualities the best. So I've had, um, uh, in the live shows I've had, I had Pauline Eyre most recently, who's Catholic. Uh, She was competing for a title of Ultimate Jewish Mother. I think she may have just pipped me to it actually. And um, Mike Shepard did it. He's uh, not Jewish or a mother indeed right there you go um, but he's ultimate okay yeah. he did he, he gave it a good go he he i thought it was very impressive he actually bought a tin of chicken soup um in his the lining of his jacket to show that's his credentials nice. everyone Excellent. has to put their credentials so yeah so hoping to be able okay. to do that as well i think ultimately um i had a tour cancelled by that whole thing that happened when someone ate a bat and then you know it all went haywire yeah. um of my previous at my 2019 show so my dilemma at the moment is mm. do i uh, revisit that tour that got cancelled and rebook it and go and do that or do I go and do something else somewhere else or do I start all again from the beginning or just stick mm. with Ultimate Jewish Mother so if people want to write yeah. in and give their suggestions okay so to suggest what show you do yeah yeah, yeah there's three different uh, shows Hineni is the one uh, the cancelled one which is uh, about um, imposter syndrome and then pray it forward and Excellent. then uh, if ultimate jewish mother and please do come and see any of them of course uh it, it's, it's like a line a line in the sand sort of moment isn't it when you move forward from here and go oh what do i do what do i do now do i go back and do this comedy thing do i do the online thing yeah. do i do a, a writer thing and uh, um, I'm doing a play at the minute, which I've not done for 15 years, and thought, well, you know, try something different, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, just uh, it's creative new year, I suppose. In that sense, it is a creative mm-hmm. new year. I've I've had to write a couple of scripts for things recently, and it was quite mm-hmm. nice, like you say, to get back it because as I mentioned before, I started off in comedic theatre, and mm-hmm. it was quite fun to be able to do uh, that sort of those sort of bits and pieces again. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think the variety of this is what's keeping me. Yeah. sane oh, actually Very you know nice. trying lots of different things and yeah well long may it continue and uh yes uh and your podcast due talking to me as well People yes definitely go and subscribe to that as please I do we're and, about to start um, releasing our next lot of episodes we've just been doing lots of recording so uh excellent. yeah we're excited um yeah three series are already out there everyone can mm. go and have a look at them and then and a new one's coming soon your co-host Philip Simon, who I was at uh, drama school with, uh, yeah. twenty years ago now, and even back then we said, "Oh, we should do a show." He said, "Called the Ginger and the Jew." That was his plan because um, I was ginger back then, and it's uh, <laughs> faded now. But uh, so it's, it's good to see that he has found a new co-host because the Ginger and the Jew never happened. But instead, uh, instead, he's got me. 
there you go quite right too um, <laughs> well, thank you for joining us and i look forward to seeing you at an interfaith gig soon i'm sure I hope there's so. a whole interfaith yeah. circuit out there waiting <laughs> to flourish but yes indeed well maybe we should make it flourish let's let's do that absolutely well, thanks thank for you, having me Thank you. So that was Rachel Krieger. You can find her podcast, Jew Talking to Me, uh, on podcast platforms and indeed find the Religion Media Centre podcast where I am contributing a little five-minute bit at the end of every episode. We chatted with uh, Rachel herself here again for a little five-minute chat on the most recent one. Chatted with Ramona Ali on the first one. She's a great uh, Muslim journalist. And on the next one, might be looking at Milton Jones. Not entirely sure. Let's find out. Um, So that will be a lovely thing. Thank you for joining us. This has been a Paul Carenza podcast. Do say subscribed. Uh, next time we're having Mr. James Carey, I believe, will be joining us on this particular podcast. I wish you well. I pray that your God would go with you. And uh, and thanks for being here. Take care. Bye for now. <laughs>